Welcome to Bits About Books, the home for conversations with authors of breakthrough books on sales, marketing and business. Founders, entrepreneurs and individual professionals, we all need to keep track of ideas that are helping create our today and tomorrow. Bits About Books will strive to find those books and speak to their authors, go behind the scenes and understand what inspired the authors to write the books that they did and how they went about doing so. Through our conversations, we hope to gain insights that will help us to get the most out of our efforts. I'm your host Shubhanjan Sarkar, founder of Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where our mission is to make buying easy. Welcome to Bits About Books. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Our guest today is Emilia Korzinska and we speak with her about her insightful bestseller, Content Operations 2.0, How to Build and Scale Your Content Ops. So the first step is to sort of plot out the content hierarchy that you have based on, you know, essentially a website hierarchy, which then again um, should be aligned with all the value propositions, use cases um, and features that your product or service has, Um, your personas, and based on that, we're sort of mapping out all the routes that your different personas are getting to your products and the different value propositions they are finding in it. So based on that, um, only then you start, you know, like thinking about your content plans, your keyword research, because first you need that strategy and you need that hierarchy. And this is what I think a lot of content teams are missing out on, that they sort of start doing the research in a disorganized way and they put a few keywords here, a few keywords there, some are very top of the funnel, some are very bottom of the funnel, there's like no plan to it and I see it happen over and over again. Emilia is a head of marketing at UserPilot, a product growth platform for SaaS companies. She's specially interested in product-led growth, product marketing and content marketing in SaaS companies. Now, on to this insightful and practical episode with Emilia Korzinska. Emilia, welcome to Bits About Books. I'm delighted to have you here and such an important book that you have written. Uh, tell me a bit about what your, your work is before we sort of dive right in. Tell me about a bit about your work and, and what how you came about to write this book. Right. So my work um, involves a bit of everything. I'm the head of marketing at UserPilot which is a product growth platform for product managers, marketers, UX people. Um, So essentially I've been running the marketing department for the last four plus years, growing it from one person to now 19 people. Um, So it's been a journey um, and that means I've been involved in like a lot of different projects and growing out different marketing functions within marketing department and the first marketing function we happened to focus on was content right organic seo content so um building and scaling our blog 
and content operations has been something that I was tasked with initially in 2021. This was our exclusive focus. Um, so, you know, based on the experiences that I gained in the process, um, I was documenting my learnings on my blog at this point. And, um, you know, I made a lot of errors and it was all trial and error, learning how to get to the point where we could scale from first four to 40 blog posts per month and now to over 100. Um, so yeah, I, I thought after a while when this has finally kind of worked that um, you know, it's something that is valuable and that I wish I had known you know, when we started out. So I wanted to share these learnings with, with a wider audience and I thought, yeah, um, just editing the blogs that I've been writing and my notes and um, putting it all together in a book format would be the best way to deliver that. Wonderful, wonderful. So when you started working on content, you said we you started with a limited number, which is now 100 a month. Uh, before we go into that, uh, at what point did you think that okay, there is enough blog posts that I've written and we need to sort of christen it content ops. So you, you, oh. you, are, you, you are sort of creating a category uh, like RevOps and DevOps. And so when, when did this thought occur to you that this is actually something which needs its own definition and framework? Yeah, I guess around the time when I decided to actually write the book, because um, all the challenges that we encountered weren't related to you know SEO or content itself. They were related to hiring and building systems and um, creating the right kind of workflows and automations around content. So it was actually the process of building an internal agency in-house. Um, and, you know, I, when I was doing research at that point, I didn't find a lot of materials on that. I don't think I was the first person to use the term content ops, but um, it wasn't popular at that time. I don't think it is still super popular at this time, as with many other ops, frankly. Um, you know, so I thought, yeah, this is what describes the content of the book best, because it's not a book about SEO. It's not a book about you know, like writing good content, there are of course elements of it, but everything centers around building the scalable content machine um, and the resources required for that, both in terms of human resources, processes, tools, checklists, workflows, automations, etc. I wonder when you were writing this blog post, they were all triggered by uh, the experiences that you are having. So you have ideas, you yeah. go and implement it and you are learning something. Uh, how did you go about sort of choosing which portions actually sort of stack up into a book? I mean, obviously you didn't bring in everything. Mm. Yeah, that was that was the hard bit. Um, I was thinking, you know, what is the actual, what are the actual steps that one needs to take in order to make this operation succeed? Because um, doing it in the wrong order is not going to work out. This is just the same as with um, a recipe for, I don't know, baking a cake. 
right? Like if you put the ingredients in the wrong order, it's not going to work out, even though it's the same ingredients. So um, that's kind of how I approached it. I wanted to create a paint by numbers recipe, how to create your first content department, how to create your first content strategy, content plan, you know, including doing the keyword research, what should it be based on? And then, you know, like which people you should hire first, like how many people you need to sort of achieve your goals. Um, you know, like setting these OKRs, what is realistic, what is not realistic. Um, and then, you know, like what processes, what tools you need to execute these plans you've made. Um, and finally, how do you measure the results of um, your, your content operation? So it all sort of aligned in a logical um, hierarchy and a logical order in the same way as you would create a recipe, literally. So I have a question over here. How, how measurable is outcome of marketing efforts really? One is mm -hmm. perception. Other is real measurement. A measurement is where I can definitely say that it has gone from one to two or two to five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, According sure. <laughs> so um, it's kind of measurable probably in around, I don't know, I'm guessing 50%, right? It's, um, it's not entirely measurable, but we are assuming the worst case scenario, right, with measuring. So using last touch attribution that is sort of fail safe right and um, that is easy to track rather than implementing complex attribution models gives you basically a rough idea how your content is performing and everything that you get extra is a nice little surprise right but this is your your baseline should be something that you can track easily um so last touch attribution basically means people that have taken the action you want them to take after you know, reading a specific piece of content. So say signing up for your free plan, your free trial, booking a demo, and signing up for your newsletter, whatever it is, whatever the CTA and the conversion event is, you're basically looking at the last step before the conversion event and assume that this is what contributed to this event. But of course, there are many steps and you can measure these earlier steps with Google Analytics, with like whatever CRM you're using, if you implement revenue um, attribution models, um, it's just going to be a lot more complicated. And most content teams I know just don't have the time or resources to measure it at this level of granularity. We don't do that either because otherwise we would be spending more time measuring than actually doing, um, which doesn't make sense. So. Yeah, as I said, like the rest, the dark social, the direct, the like, um, you know, touch points in the journey are extra bonuses that you get, extra dividends that you get from your content. There's a lot of talk about when we talk of content, primarily it boils down to identify your ICP and come up with topics that interest them and then just go and write them. Mm. Right. Uh, and when you when you thought of when you think of it as content ops, which is what's so uh, important about the book you've written, it, it's a more holistic thought than think up some topics and start writing the uh, content, right? Uh, 
So what is it that should go into the initial planning of setting up a content ops for a brand or, or a product or a company? Yeah, so the initial thing is starting from your content strategy and um, identifying the topics that are bringing you conversions already. So what are the triggers for your prospects, for your target audience to you know, get interested in your product or service? Um, this is what Ellie Schwartz um, calls um, product-led SEO. So basically, you base um, your content strategy on your product or service and work your way, or work your way backwards um, from mm -hmm. it to from the very bottom of the funnel. So what actually triggers the decision to buy your product or service up to the top of the funnel. So what is sort of the tangential topics that um, you know, first sort of inculcate the thought of using a product or service like that. Um, and, you know, I always recommend people to start at the bottom of the funnel because this is the low hanging fruits that are most likely to convert only then where they were upwards. So the first step is to sort of plot out the content hierarchy that you have based on, you know, essentially a website hierarchy, which then again, um, should be aligned with all the value propositions, use cases, um, and features that your product or service has, um, your personas, and based on that, we're sort of mapping out all the routes that your different personas are getting to your products and the different value propositions they are finding in it. So based on that, um, only then you start, you know, like thinking about your content plans, your keyword research, because first you need that strategy and you need that hierarchy. And this is what I think a lot of content teams are missing out on, that they sort of start doing the research in a disorganized way and they put a few keywords here, a few keywords there, some are very top of the funnel, some are very bottom of the funnel, there's like no plan to it. And I see it happen over and over again. And also the internal linking hierarchy is then often disrupted. So essentially, you know, the content on the blog doesn't correspond to the sales pages on your website. And there is no internal linking between these two, which means that even if someone lands on um, your blog post from Google, they have no way, no easy way of clicking through to the relevant offering. Right? People are not actually embedding the offering and not thinking about how to embed their offering in the context of a specific keyword, which is a huge problem. And it sounds like such a one-on-one, right? But um, literally very few content teams think about it and think about spending more time on the planning phase rather than just rushing into writing content. Emily, can you just elaborate a bit? So two critical things you mentioned just now. Start mm -hmm. with bottom of the funnel content. Yeah. Most people do top of the funnel because I guess yeah. it's easier to do that. I think it's just that <laughs> you get you get lazy and it's and, and and it's like and and second thing is doing the keyword search right. Uh, can you can you give some and and of course uh, the second part is how do you connect it to a, a, a attributable action? Once they have read the read the post or read your content or consumed your content, uh, can you give an example of 
bottom of the funnel and maybe uh, with reference to user pilot what what do you consider bottom of the funnel content and where do you see that content can link to a measurable uh, action point mm. yeah so each piece of content needs to have monetization logic so basically needs to lead to a cta to a specific outcome that we want to achieve from this piece of content in the case of user pilot this can be for example posts like best tools for user onboarding or best tools for product analytics for SaaS, um or you know top pendo competitors or pendo versus app use which is better for user onboarding um, so these are examples of very bottom of the funnel um, posts that indicate not only problem awareness, solution awareness, but also product awareness, right? So people are searching for products that provide specific solutions to specific problems. And that is a very high intent indicator. And um, so we're starting from identifying keywords and areas um, so clusters really like that because you want to be able to come up with all your keywords at once okay and when someone's telling me they've ran out of bottom of the funnel keywords like I typically you know <laughs> instantly smile because I know they probably haven't and that it's pretty much mathematically impossible to do so and um, we're using programmatic SEO and have been for almost a year and a half to saturate our bottom of the funnel keywords and we still haven't done it, even though we're publishing like 100 blogs per month. Um, so, you know, depending on the number of competitors you have, depending on the number of use cases and personas you have, these go into thousands of potential um, high intent um, converting topics that you could write about. Um, so this is what I meant by bottom of the funnel, essentially people that are already in the market, that are already researching specific products right that can um, solve their problems and and can you elaborate a bit about the uh, call to action linked to these uh, so for instance if you're talking right, yeah. of yeah if you're mm -hmm. talking of uh, who are the competitors of pendo for example in in context of user pilot what would you actually expect them to to what should be the call to action there yeah, so in this case, it's like pretty much check out our trial, sign up for free for our free trial to see oh. the difference yourself or book a demo to, you know, explore um, the benefits of using user pilot over Pendo. Um, so, yeah, in these cases, these are like very you know, straightforward CTAs to basically check out the product and find out the differences. This could mm. also be a link to a specific sales page that compares the features mm -hmm. of user pilot and pando uh with screenshots this could be you know videos that like showcase the differences as well um etc etc so yeah very bottom of the funnel um cta as well got it got it um will you i mean before we move into the content velocity chapter uh would you would you care to elaborate a little more about uh, programmatic SEO because this is something I've been following you for and and you, you have a ton of experience you have shared a lot um, uh, in in the social space about it and your experiences uh, we are all learning from that so what is programmatic SEO and how does it I mean I guess the biggest uh, <clears throat> uh, example is the Zapier case study of those 25,000 
landing pages, right? Uh, what the, which yeah. they had done. I mean that 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 I guess whenever you <laughs> do a talk about programmatic SEO, that's what comes to mind. But in your case, um, how do you define that, and how can brands actually sort of take advantage of this? Mm. Yeah, so I define programmatic SEO essentially as any method to produce posts um, for SEO at a larger scale um, using, you know, programmatic methods. This does not need to involve programming. This can be basically done um, with no-code tools, with programming, or even with spreadsheets like we have done. Um, so yeah, in our case, we basically looked at, uh, I mean, that's sort of part of the definition of programmatic SEO that it needs to involve um, patterns of keywords that are highly um, repetitive and highly formulaic, right? So this is like the only condition that you really need to meet in order to execute a programmatic SEO strategy is that all the keywords in your specific batch essentially need to be following a template. So in our case, for example, these are posts like listicles, best tools for use case, right? Or tool one versus tool two, which is better, or tool one versus tool two, which is better for use case, or tool one alternatives, right? All these, I'm already putting in the variable there. Um, all these include variables, right? That are just then being swapped um, for the content from your database um, and you essentially follow the template there is some formulaic text in the template that repeats across all the posts in this batch following this template it doesn't have to repeat right you can create templates that basically alternate bits or that even have unique variations of the template text for each entry um, for each keyword for each variable combination um, but then you fetch basically um, content like the tool names, tool descriptions, graphics, images from your database um, instead of, you know, writing every piece of content from scratch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds, sounds very exciting. Very few brands have actually pulled it off. Would you know of anybody else? I mean, I know about Zapier, I know about you. Uh, do you see any other brand doing this uh, effectively? Yeah, I know. I know a few. I know ClickUp um, has been doing it as well. Um, so again, for certain um, basically workflows that you can execute in ClickUp, they have created on that landing pages on that. Um, I've known a few other brands off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember, but. I can't give you names okay. off the top of my head, but um, <laughs> no, no. if it comes to you later, you can tell mm -hmm. me. I mean, not not a problem. So yeah, but it is it is becoming more. It's not popular. I wouldn't say it's popular because it's a it's a strategy that requires a lot of rigor and mm. it requires applying a rigorous system, yeah. um, basically to make it work. There are very few tools that can do it right. And the downside of this is that you need to prepare your database in advance, mm. which is a huge upfront cost. And many, you know, brands are maybe a bit worried of making the upfront investment. Unnecessarily, I would say, from the perspective of 
you know, having seen the results and having seen like how much cheaper it is to produce programmatic um, SEO content than traditional posts. Um, but yeah, this is sort of uh, the reality, right? It's just right. like saying, hey, very few people run marathons. Hmm. A lot of people run, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree. So did you did you use outsourced uh, help to do this for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are using outsourced help to write any type of content because honestly, we don't have any in-house content writers. We only have in-house editors. Okay. Um, so yeah, obviously, initially we were producing this only in-house, so we kind of MVP'd it in-house. We filled in the database ourselves. I was even involved in filling it in uh, myself. Um, and then after we, you know, we felt we have a good grip on the process and we sort of cleaned the templates up so they actually work. Um, we then started outsourcing, filling in the database to our writers. So the same way as they're writing content for, for blogs from scratch, um, they're filling in the database basically and then we move it to the spreadsheet and produce, you know, 60 articles out of two entries for instance right right this is this is amazing i mean that that itself can be a separate discussion with you i think this is yeah this is so 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 exciting and intriguing um, let's talk about content velocity you are uh, you you talk about that you talk about in your chapter three about it being very critical uh most people don't manage three or four posts a week most brands mm. Um, most brands are not consistent. Uh, one of the thing you mentioned was rigor. So I, I get that. So what kind of velocity do you think, especially in the SaaS space, is, is the right kind of velocity or cadence? As much as you can afford mm. at the right velocity, honestly, um, there's never enough content. And if you're publishing one or two or even three posts per week, it's just not enough. And especially if you are in a crowded space, and you're targeting the English speaking market. It's slightly different with other languages, right, which are a lot less saturated. And sure. just yesterday, I talked to um, a CEO of a SaaS that targets the Polish market. And, um, you know, he's achieving really good results with a lot less content. Um, but that doesn't apply if you're in this crowded English speaking space. So, honestly, yeah. Um, you may want to figure out basically how to make your processes more scalable um, and how you can produce more content. But um, there isn't like a single number that I can give you that makes sense in terms of content velocity in SaaS, because what is SaaS, right? It's like, I would need to ask you about your specific niche, your specific competitors and see what is going on in your market, how competitive uh, it is, how saturated the SEO channel is. And then I could tell you, you know, like compared to what is out there, you need to like be producing basically 200 blogs per month to catch up with your top competitors. Mm. I, I understand. So it'll, it'll really vary about the landscape that you operate in, both geography, language, competitive landscape and so on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and obviously, if you can do a lot more and especially if you can take the uh, programmatic path and, and actually execute on it, uh, you will have a head start vis-a-vis yeah, your cool. competition. So, yeah. so there is no two ways about it. Um, 
talk about a bit about the budget that one needs to look at. Mm. How do you see? Uh, because see, when you talk of SaaS, there are so many varieties. In the sense, there are bootstrapped companies. There are companies who have raised only seeds, seed level. There are companies who are having revenue traction. Companies who are still yet to, yet to get revenue. So there are like various stages. Uh, what is the yardstick, according to you, based on which you should be setting the budget limits and stuff like that? Right. So again, it depends, right? Like um, if you have a certain budget and you are on a tight budget, it's not a massive budget allocation, but just a sheer amount of marketing budget you have, right? Then you can't like sidestep it and you can't negotiate with that. Then it's a question of how much you can produce within that budget and what solutions you can implement like programmatic SEO or like using AI to produce parts of your content and scale that way to essentially you know sidestep the limitations of your budget um by you know like most companies sort of you know, like either funded or profitable SaaS companies it's more a matter of budget allocation and that they are afraid of putting in the budget in content because content, you know, takes time to bring in results. I know plenty of SaaS companies that are not investing nearly as much in content as they are investing in, for instance, conferences. Um, and conference attendance can easily cost you $100,000 for basically one conference attendance. And I can bet that, you know, they wouldn't receive as much upside from the single conference attendance as they would from investing that amount of money into a well-planned SEO content strategy. Why? Because conference attendance results are based on serendipity, right? So either someone comes over to your stand and, you know, you, you manage to have that valuable conversation. They happen to be in the market. They happen to be from a large company that is going to, you know, bring you a high ticket deal that will like justify the cost of attendance because like literally these big SaaS conferences, you pay 30, 50,000 just for a small stand, right? And then you still need to, you know, ship your team there. You still need to book the flights, hotels, um, print the merch, um, kit out of the booth, which itself is going to cost like tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so yeah, all this basically, like what was the deal size that you need and how many of these deals are like literally walking around and are going to stop at your booth, yeah, um, to make this happen. Mm. So like knowing your conversion rates from inbound, you can imagine how it will go with the number of people in the market that are you know present on on this conference and um, i'm constantly you know shocked to be honest by how many people will choose that um something that relies mostly on luck mm. over um strategies that are a lot more predictable and um, like content or you know paid um display ads basically or cold search ads um yeah cold search ads especially because this is the same as the same strategy as content um you're just kind of paying to reach the top results instead of 
doing it organically. So, you know, it's a matter of coming back to the initial question, how much budget you should be allocating to it. Depends on how important that strategy is in, in your marketing mix. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that few people prioritize it enough over other strategies that are not evergreen, that are not predictable, um, and that are a lot more expensive in terms of cost per lead. It's time for a short break. Stay with us. After the break. But remember that on YouTube, it's not an owned channel. So you can't, um, for instance, you, you can't customize the page um, on which your content appears. Um, so essentially, you can't add CTAs in, you can add a CTA in the tags, but of the description of the YouTube video, but it's so not prominent that, you know, you can't really, it's not going to be a very high click-through rate, and we've okay. seen that ourselves. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest-growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at biz. C-A-S-T dot I-N Business Podcast Network Podcasts End to End Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for Bits About Books and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Let's dive right back into the episode where we left it. So I have a quick question on that. Uh, you can do content by choosing topics and writing and or the programmatic route. What are your thoughts about, I mean, what kind of content do you, are you thinking this, all of this should be uh, text only or are, do you also include in your thought process, uh, video and audio content, content like what we are doing now? Uh, do you see these also contributing towards content strategy? And, 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 and a offshoot to that question is when you create your own conferences, which are basically webinars or, or, or content led uh, content-led conferences, like say, mm -hmm. for instance, what Spark Toro does, or or some other brands do. Uh, you are doing something very specific to benefit your community, mm -hmm. which has still evergreen value. We do a few ourselves. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Um, it's not the same strategy. Um, this is part of our demand gen um, efforts. And this is something we layered on top of our SEO content only after we had a solid um, stream of leads coming from that organic channel and we knew how to maintain um, that essentially because um, these, I, I would argue, if they're evergreen. Like conferences, okay. even if you have them pre-recorded, this is not content that is optimized for SEO. Right. They might appear, the videos might appear on YouTube um, and then they might, you know, convert in a similar fashion to um, written content. But remember that on YouTube, it's not an owned channel. So you can't, um, for instance, 
you, you can customize the page um, on which your content appears. Um, so essentially, you can't add CTAs in. You can add a CTA in the text, but of the description of the YouTube video, but it's so not prominent that you know you can't really. It's not going to be a very high click-through rate, and we've okay. seen that ourselves. Um, it's not embedded contextually in the context of the video itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as with any recorded mode, like people will be, of course, they are dropping off the written um, page as well, but with videos, especially people might be dropping off more than, you know, before they take the action that you want them to take. Um, with written content, if something is very contextual right, to um, what you're selling, you can put that CTA right there, right? And people will get to this point in your blog and then see the CTA to I don't know, sign up for the free trial and they're a lot more likely to do that than they are from a short, um, uncontextual description of a YouTube video. So that's my take on it. Um, and we use that tactic, you know, to, to generate basically more interest in the product. But this is more like um, market education, brand building, brand awareness exercise, uh, and like a pure acquisition play. And we do that to reap these long-term benefits and dividends um, on top of what we're doing in content. But honestly. If I were to cut budget now, and if I were to be forced to remove some parts of our, you know, marketing strategy, like these would be the first things to go, because they're not directly contributing to revenue or, you know, in such an insignificant um, amount that it wouldn't hurt us to get rid of them in the short term. Got it. Got it. Uh your next part that you, you you are talking of organizing your content operations, um, what what are people likely to learn uh, learn from uh, these uh, these chapters, uh, which is chapters seven, eight, uh, uh, and nine? And uh, talk to us about your comparison between Asana, Notion, Google Sheets, uh, and all of that. Mm. Do you have five hours? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't I think just... we can really. That's why I wrote three chapters about it because right. this is not something that you can explain in one sentence. Sure. Essentially, you know, initially we implemented Asana as our project management um, tool um, to manage the workflow. But after a while, we realized that's why I released an updated version of the ebook um, early this year. Because um, essentially, after a while, we realized that it's not helping uh, with tracking certain um, data, basically, like the content that was already published, mm -hmm. um, you know, organizing the content updates or um, managing the payments, um, essentially managing the monthly content plan and looking back and looking at um, you know, what we are actually planning to publish and what we already have published and what are the results of this. It was all scattered kind of across different places. So initially on Asana, we didn't, you know, we couldn't follow what is the content plan because it was all about the workflow. It was all about project management. So we mm -hmm. layered a spreadsheet on top of it. But then we basically had to move things back and forth, right? 
we have to move things from the spreadsheet into Asana and then from Asana into the spreadsheet once things were published, which was a waste of time. So our head of content, you know, in the summer last year, she basically built out a more scalable system on the notion that involved um, a few intertwined notion databases um, that, you know, have a lot of properties um, that describe the, each piece of content very accurately. And then we can create a number of different linked views to display different data. So say monthly content plans or monthly content workflows on the Kanban board. So one is a list view, one is a Kanban board view. Um, but you know, when people use the workflow view, so the Kanban board view to move the pieces of content across the sort of delivery funnel, you know, mm. so from planned to, you know, brief created to in progress, to in editing, to in publishing, to published. Like these statuses actually change automatically on the list view. So then we can see, okay, how many blogs we published this month, how many we planned, how many we actually published, what mm. got stuck, who is responsible for what. We can create separate views for each editor so they all know what they are responsible for this month. Um, same with writers, same with budgets, right? We assign the budget to each piece of content and then we can easily track like, okay, this piece of content was, was labeled with, say, onboarding epic, right? Or analytics epic. How much budget are we assigning to these different content clusters per month? We can track all of that using Notion a lot easier than using a combination of spreadsheets and Asana. So I wrote about this evolution of the system. And it's a very, very complicated um, content operations system, uh, which I know would be hard to replicate for smaller teams. So, yeah. you know, I also included some MVP ideas, right? How you can do it in a more simplified way, because also not all the teams will be, will require such level of sophistication and will actually um, be able to reach, you know, this level of content velocity. Um, and of course, at the beginning, things are just more straightforward. So you don't need to implement such a super complicated system from the get go. Yeah, it sounds very complicated. <laughs> it, 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 I don't yeah, expect yeah. it to be easy. I don't expect it to be easy because if it was easy, everybody would have been doing it. So, so uh, what would you say would be the best way to actually learn this process for some somebody who is really excited by hearing you talk about it today yeah read the book you know reach out to me reach out to well adina our head of content she would also be happy to help um also just like read around it and start doing implement it and learn by yeah. trial and error because you will also figure out that there are some aspects of the strategy that you need to adapt to your circumstances um and yeah, it's all about taking the idea and making it work for yourself. Absolutely, I think I think uh, finding the finding the logic in your mind and then executing it. I think finding it is the first thing. I don't think every product can actually execute on a programmatic SEO idea uh, because they just may not be in that space. It, I mean, I don't know. You may you, you may differ. I mean, looks like looks like you don't agree. I don't agree. No, I think every every product can execute on programmatic SEO unless they are like a one-trick pony and there is pretty much no competition and there is nothing to write about that would be formulaic. 
right? If you don't have enough content to um, publish using the programmatic methods, it may not make sense to implement it, right? Because if you like learn, okay, you can generate 10 posts like that, then it's easier to just write them by hand. But yeah. if like it scales so fast that if you only have like 10 competitors, and 10 use cases, or even five use cases, we're talking about thousands of posts, right? Yeah. So I'm not really buying it for most <laughs> companies. No, no, I mean, I'm, I'm super, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we are doing this today because then tonight I can read, read it and yeah. then come back to you yeah. so that uh, we can, I can learn a bit more. Let's, let's go to the final part of this. Uh, I'll skip the hiring bit because unless you, I mean, would you have any top level thoughts as to what is the right combination of this this kind of a content team yeah um you definitely need in-house editors um whose main responsibility will be creating very detailed briefs for the writers otherwise like your content operation will just implode you can't rely on the writers to be um subject matter experts to yeah. be you know product experts um, and I've, I've read a lot of like contrarian advice that it all depends on the writer and that you can, you know, interview the SMEs and then have the freelance content writers who are more expensive write up perfect content. And, you know, we fired a bunch of people um, from our freelance writing team that I then were so, so going into brands like HubSpot, Moss. Um, and then I've seen their content and the content published on the blogs of these brands, big brands in general, not just these two, of course, is not always great, right? So don't be fooled by the big brand. They actually can afford to publish lower quality content because of all the domain authority, the brand authority they're getting. Right? Yeah. If, you know, if you publish really, really mediocre, um, content on HubSpot blog and great content on another blog. It's very unlikely that um, this great content on a small new website with a DR19 is going to outperform the said mediocre HubSpot blog. So um, I don't think you can find writers uh, that are going to consistently deliver high quality, especially for the bottom of the final pieces that you need. Um, because simply there is conflict of interest. If this is a freelance writer that writes like one or two or two blog posts for you and then writes for five different clients, they don't have the time to invest in yeah. learning about your product, your personas, your brand. Conversely, full-time employees that are responsible for the results of your content um, have all the incentive and all the motivation to learn that. And they just have to do that. So your content editors are the guardians of quality and by proxy conversion rate of your content. So they are responsible for conveying all this important information, especially the CTA, the monetization logic of each blog um, to your writers and then check if the writers did what they um, asked them to do, check for the quality um, and yeah before it goes into publishing essentially so that's kind of one piece of hiring advice i would give anyone starting in content yeah makes sense uh, makes sense how, how do you i mean finally how do you actually expect a brand which is embarking on this 
journey mm. to set their expectations and measure the ROI on this investment, whatever that investment is? Yeah, again, um, it depends, right? I can't answer the question and make it make the answer useful by being, you know, um, industry or company agnostic. Hmm. It all really depends on the situation. And there will be cases where I would advise someone not to invest in content because it may turn out that, you know, in such a saturated niche, they will be better off investing that budget into outbound or into, for instance, um, cold search ads, right? So it all depends. Um, I don't think I can give like a one size fits all answer. Sure. Sure. No, I mean, let's let's take a hypothetical situation for it. Mm. For example, if we take user pilot, for, for example, yeah. how, how do you measure? You, you did, did partially answer that earlier in the discussion that you will see the, the rate of conversion. You'll see whatever was the expected CTA, whether they signed up for a demo or they signed up for mm -hmm. a free account or what, whatever those uh, parameters are in terms of CTA, you would measure those. Is there anything else next to that that you would measure? Would you see at the would would you look at for instance the final conversion uh, of how many people converted to paid uh, subscriptions? Um. So again, it depends on the company, right? In our case, all the inbound leads are going through pretty much all of them are going through the sales team, right? And the product is pretty complex, very complex right now. Um. So I can't really blame the content writers or content editors on, for instance, low conversion to paid from content. Because there are other aspects that come into play, like, yeah, the complexity of the product will influence the percentage of people that, you know, um, upgrade to a paid plan completely self-serve from the free trial. Then, so that's down to the product itself. Then you have the sales team involved. And the close rate on the sales calls depends on the sales process, right? Rather than um, the content operation. So provided you're not writing about something irrelevant and you're not misrepresenting the facts about your product. Um, and, you know, what I mean by that is that you're not um, driving unqualified traffic and unqualified leads into your sales funnel. What happens inside the sales funnel is not content team's responsibility, right? This is sort of a shared responsibility between the product, sales, and engineering teams, really, and customer success to, to some extent as well. Sure. Uh, be before we wind this up, I have one question to you. I mean, attribution of any kind of outcome from marketing, I mean, this has become a contentious piece of discussion, right? So marketing doing a lot of stuff, but we are not getting value out of it. We are not getting the proper leads. I mean, this, I mean, you, you have heard this enough. Uh, however, I think there is no option, but the marketing motions to start nurturing potential prospects and move them to a point and be engaged with them till they're ready to actually look at a product like this, right? Whatever the product mm -hmm. is. Um, and content, obviously plays a very, very important part in building that brand awareness, the familiarity, the authority, if you please. Um, how, how do you see that playing out in your, uh, in, in, in your uh, 
efforts, how many of these people are actually engaging very early with you? They may not be ready to buy today, but they know at some point I'll need a product like user pilot. So let me just, so there's some internal discussion going on. Let me go and check. Then they discover because of your programmatic content and the volume and, and the quality, they do discover you. And then they start engaging. Mm -hmm. And at some point they convert. That conversion may be six months down the line or nine months down the line. How, how do you see that? long-term engagement playing out through the content process that you have in place right so um when it comes to inbound when it comes to content all of these nurture plays need to be totally self-serve um or like largely 90 percent self-serve because with content with inbound you pretty much in most cases don't have um control over the size of the account right. that is coming your way um so unlike abm account-based marketing strategies where you're targeting specific companies and typically approaching them through outbound where this is a lot more you know has higher customer acquisition costs and is more labor intense but then you know that if you close this deal this will be like a hundred k or 500k deal with content, especially for products with a low ACV, so average contract value, you can't sweat the nurture part. So that's why you need to um, create a lot of content and you also need to create content that sort of um, targets different um, parts of the funnel so people can nurture themselves. If someone types in the top of the funnel keyword and they see your content and say they sign up for your newsletter and then you start like gradually pushing them down the funnel, that's great. But you don't work these prospects individually because they're not worth it in terms of the return on this investment. So that's why the content plan is very important. So you lay out these um, touch points throughout the buyer's journey but you don't engage personally sort of one to one at these touch points sure so so just to follow up on that if if you are a company which is following a abm motion your content plan and the and 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 the contribution of content would be very different and very or maybe limited would you say um not necessarily right like um yeah if you're targeting people that are completely unaware so they are not in the market they are not um sort of in the buying cycle then yeah you can still use the content to get them into the market but in general converting such accounts is going to be a huge pain and it's going to be very very difficult uh, you're looking for a certain so you make a list of your accounts right are based on say certain technographic and firmographic criteria like revenue number of employees number of employees in a specific department like in our case the product team um, and then you're looking for buying triggers so out of this list of i don't know 500,000 companies that match these um like company size and employee count criteria how many of them have for example been checking out your content okay or even with tools like zoom info or you know sixth sense how many of them have been googling you know specific keywords so custom intent um essentially if we're using zoom info um and are you know which indicates they are in the market for specific solutions 
Then you can use tools like built with to see how many of them are using, have used or have trialed certain tools that again indicate they have the intent. These could be your competitors or complementary tools to yours. Um, and then, you know, you're looking at other um, buying signals like hiring people in positions that indicate this company will be investing in a specific area where your tool provides solutions for. Um, and with that, you know, as I said, content can play part of the journey. It can be one of the triggers of content engagement, especially bottom of the funnel content engagement. It's a very, very strong trigger. So if you use that plus thermographic criteria as, you know, your list building um, trigger, then it's going to be very powerful. Um, on the flip side, if you see that someone is just searching specific keywords, um, not necessarily landing on your website, you can still use your content as a lead magnet for that person in your outbound campaigns, right? So. I would say it still plays part, but you use it differently than for attracting self-serve lower ACV inbound leads from the organic SEO channel. So would you say that this is like sort of, when you say self-serve, it's sort of like product-led motions and stuff like that, where the touch points, human touch points are limited or, or non-existent. So are, are we talking of like sub 10,000 uh, annual subscription value or sub 5,000? Where does it work the best according to you? Um, it works for, for 10,000, it works for 50,000. Like obviously the higher the ACV, the more likely the company is um, to talk to humans. Um, but you know, I know there have been studies that companies are happy to swipe their credit card on deals up to like 500,000 in ARR. Um, so essentially, the openness to the product-led route is increasing. Um, but yes, still there is a correlation between the willingness to talk to sales and like have someone help the company make decision and how much they are going to be paying for the deal. And of course, with some more like enterprise um, level companies, there are things like custom service level agreement that come into play. So, you know, like you can't generate a custom SLA uh, just through the product led website. Like, I mean, theoretically, you perhaps could uh, like let the prospects choose certain items and then like generate um, the SLA. Um, but most people still want to talk to the human in the process of signing yeah. a contract worth like tens of thousands of dollars. Um, like I know it doesn't make sense to involve sales under like a 3000 ARR, um, so ACV mark. It, it's just not going to work out in terms of unit economics. I would say you could even take it further to like 5k, right? Um, after that, it's sort of fair game. Like we're mostly inbound driven um, at this point. Um, but we do have a sales team that essentially provides assistance for these larger accounts. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So uh, just as an aside, we started off SaaS as a software as a service. And then the next phase was service as a software. You start mm -hmm. off with a manual process and then you automate the. And now I'm hearing about SaaS being software and service. 
right? So there's always a component which sort of for the customer success, you need need to teach them. I mean, things are becoming more complex. The, the single trick pony, that, that, that side is over. And now everything else becomes more and more complex and you need to teach your prospects and customers to be successful with your product. And that, that brings in a element of uh, human intervention. Bits About Books is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Pitchlink makes buying easy by enabling high-quality engagement between buyers and sellers through its presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create customized sales narratives using sales collaterals and personal videos and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive, buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversations. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intuition. Call us on 99021-63132. Emilia, this was a great discussion and, and you know I'm very tempted to come back to you with, with uh, <laughs> more discussions and, and I hope you'll make time for us. Before I let you go, would you like to add anything else that I perhaps did not uh, touch upon? Well, I think we covered a lot of things and I would encourage everyone to you know read the book and check out my Patreon, which is also called Content Ops for SaaS. Surprise, surprise. Um, and you know, I'm like still publishing a lot of materials there, basically. So it's sort of more up to date, I guess, and there are more materials there than in the book. Um, so you know, if anyone has any specific questions, they can reach out to me there on LinkedIn. And yeah, I'm um, happy to do a follow-up. I also thought this is a very interesting discussion. We touched upon a lot of things like, you know, also what is the, the optimal balance between sales-led and product-led and content-led, um, what you just mentioned about layering the service on top of um, the software. This is also a trend that I see in SaaS that, like actually a lot of buyers, a lot of um, prospects, expect or want a service component and not necessarily just free service component um but you know sometimes they buy a piece of software and then they realize they don't have the time or resources in-house to make most out of it and they're expecting the company to provide a paid service to complement the, the solution um, so we're getting a lot of requests like that so far we haven't built the service arm yet we provide a lot of customer service and support and but yeah, at uh, this time, we don't have an agency component within the business itself because this is what it requires. So yeah, super interesting conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Subhanjan. And uh, I do hope we will continue at some point as well. Absolutely. And do send me your Patreon link. I'll, I'll get it included in the, in the show notes. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations on breakthrough books. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today on Bits About Books, where we talk to authors about breakthrough books on sales, marketing and business. We hope this conversation helped inform and motivate as we all navigate a rapidly changing business environment. For us, these are enlightening conversations enriched with knowledge and expertise. We encourage you to go out and buy the book to learn firsthand and implement some of the great ideas we discussed today. 
We hope to have you with us again in the next exciting episode of Bits About Books. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from and give us a rating while you are at it. This Bizcast original podcast is produced for Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where the mission is to make buying easy. Hosted by Subhanjan Sarkar and produced by Rajiv Aditya. See you next time and have a wonderful day.